0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ.
1: It's good to see you this morning. My name is Stacy Croft. I am one of the pastors on staff with Christ Presbyterian Church. I'm the lead pastor for this particular location that meets here every Sunday, and uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you, I got to meet a few of you this morning that are visiting our church, and and I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Welcome, and uh, if I get a chance to grab coffee or lunch with you, if you ever want to, and get to know more more about your story, and you can hear more about our church, ask questions, or uh, me, or anything, I'd love to do that. Um, We have these black books, I think that Jordan said, in each of the aisles, and hopefully you sign that, put your email, and I'd love to get to know you better. Well, from uh, time to time, I like to listen to uh, what's called "This American Life." It's an NPR kind of radio show, and uh, sometimes they have good things, sometimes it's you know hit or miss. Uh, but from time to time, I love hearing the stories that they tell. and for this particular one, it was called uh, "Where there's a Will," and of course, you finish there's a way." But this particular story had to do with something that happened over 30 years ago with a particular family in Israel. Israel had just invaded Lebanon, and um, there was a a soldier who's actually a brother of somebody who is, uh, I guess, regularly on the This American Life uh, podcast. The soldier had just, uh, was a part of, in Lebanon, a part of that, and it was a policy of the Israeli army, uh, if at all possible, to have uh, leave at least every two weeks, so that you could go home and Lebanon wasn't very far from uh, you know Israel they could just shoot home and come back well it, it, this particular brother was not coming home for over two months he wasn't making it home and uh, his mom started to get really upset so his mother it's, it was told um, decided she needed to speak to what, who was called the chief of staff at the time who's in charge was like who's in charge of all this so for them, the chief of staff is like the head of everything, the army. Well, her strategy was in order to get her son to be able to come home, he needs to take his leave. He needs to come home and, ha- you know, be taken care of. Well, she, this was her strategy. She would call the first person in line. So she would call whoever was the first person in charge. Now imagine doing this like trying to get something done for maybe a, a, a bill that you need to take care of at home, a cable bill. Who do I, who do I speak to? Who do I speak to? Well, she calls the first person, and she would sit on the phone until that person would actually say something that offended her. And then she would jump on it and say, who's your superior? Who's your superior? So she kept working up all the way to the head. And finally, she gets to talk to the man in charge. And listen to what she says. She gets him on the phone, and this is her first word. She says, listen. I know you're fighting a war, so I don't want to waste too much of your time. I'll make it simple. My son didn't get any of his leave time the past few months, and you have 24 hours to send him home if you know what's good for you. <laughs> the chief of staff says back to her, Ma'am, I'm sorry, do you know who you're talking to? Are you actually, are you threatening me? And she says, yes, I am. If you don't send him home within 24 hours, <laughs> you, you better know some, I'm going to be coming after you. Well, through the chain of command, he hangs up on her, and all of a sudden, I think within that 24 hours, a helicopter lands where he is, picks him up, and whisks him off, and all his buddies are like, where is he going? He goes home, has his leave. Well, if you think about that story, in, in some sense, it talks about the resilience of a mom. It talks about you know, how her, in, in a hilarious fashion, the willingness, I'm just going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep pressing. But you know what it really shows a lot is the value of the kingdom. It shows the values that are held. And actually the dialogue even shows the value in, in, of, of the kingdom, respectively, of the king or who's in charge, right? What, what does it show? It shows, you know, a mom wanting to take care of her son. Yeah, but there's more to that, right? Because in this passage we just read, this mom comes in similar fashion. She may kneel, but she's asking a question that is of incredible importance. To say, can, can my son sit at the right and left hand in the kingdom? This is essentially saying, coming to our presidents, acting president, and saying, hey, I have two kids, they're great. Can they be on your cabinet? That's exactly what she was asking. See, the kingdom of God for, for the Israelites was this massive understanding of what their, their, their nation once was, what God held dear. You know, we read even before about King David, as Brett sang, told us, we were singing and talking about that this throne meant something to them, that their kingdom was at one point at its pinnacle, and it was this powerful nation that held blessing. And at the current state, they did not have that. So when Jesus comes and is showing all this work and and power and miracles and and healings, and and they think they're following the right guy. They think, man, this is is gonna be the person who's gonna usher us back into that blessing, bring us back to peace, a time where we're not having to worry about our worship or having to fight for our rights or any of those kind of things. And so she asked this question, but Jesus, flips it on its head. Very different from even the, the the mom who wants her home, her son home from leave. Jesus says, if you really want to know success, you have to understand it comes through a completely different lens. It comes through an opposite direction. That this kingdom and its values are based on the king himself. And as we'll see in a minute, it doesn't come through success. It comes through suffering. It doesn't come through position, it comes through being the least. And that is so counterintuitive for us. Why in the world would success come through suffering? And I know you're sitting in a church, and maybe you're new this morning, and maybe you're back in a church, or maybe this is your first time, or you're kind of like, I don't know. uh, uh, Why does this matter? Why, Why is this counterintuitive idea of coming from the other end to success, the other end to position? matter? How does it actually work and transform us? We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at those two things simply. Suffering is to success and that, and that the least is to the greatest. So it, it, when you read this, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up, and now who are these sons? This is James and John, okay? These are two of the three who are actually, so there were 12 disciples, three of which were probably some of the inner, inner circle that when Jesus would go off to pray, oftentimes these three would go. It was James, John, and Peter. Now you'll notice Peter is kind of in some sense being boxed out even in this. But James and John are here And their mother, who we actually have read about before, their mother not named here, but named Salome. When we were in Easter, we read of three women who went to the empty tomb in the accounts of the Gospels, one of which was Salome, this mother. And she's coming before Jesus because she recognizes all that's happening. She's a follower, she and others. And she's actually, if you dig a little deeper into the Bible and what it's talking about, she's actually the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So these two, James and John, were considered cousins of Jesus. So what she's doing, in a sense, is through her familial leverage, coming to Jesus, and maybe the sons put her up to this, we don't know for sure, but we know they're all three listed and other accounts, they kind of bring them together, but they realize there's someone special here, we need to kind of get in on this in the right way. And as Jesus does, as you see here, he says, and he said to her, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine sit at one, at one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And it's kind of an odd turn of events. First, he's saying, look, you clearly are asking a question that you don't really understand what you're getting into. Jesus could have rebuked them. He could have been harsh to them. But he says, hey, are you able to drink this cup? And that is a kind of a weird thing. Well, drink this cup. Why would why would Jesus say that? Cup is actually an image, a metaphor all through the Bible. If you look in, if you have a phone or if you look in the back of a Bible and look up the word cup, you'd see that there are these Old Testament references to it, just sprinkled throughout. And what it meant is to a destiny. To drink a cup meant this is you're drinking your fate. You're drinking your destiny. This is where you're headed. And when the Bible spoke about the cup, there are maybe a couple moments where it speaks about it in blessing. But for the most part, listen to these verses that it speaks about the cup. In Jeremiah 25, it says this Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Isaiah 51, another passage in the Old Testament. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering. See, for what Jesus is saying is, are you able to drink this cup, this success, this kingdom that you think is to come in, actually comes through a completely different end. It comes through drinking the cup, which is a cup of wrath, a cup of suffering. And this cup would not look like a normal cup, not even like this cup necessarily up front. It would be more like a bowl. That's what was even described. And so think of even two hands having to grasp it, to hold it to your mouth to drink it, almost like you finish a bowl of cereal and you want to take the milk in. You have to hold it with both hands. It's not like a water cup. It's putting both hands in it and that whomever is to come and is going to drink of this cup is going to drink to the dregs. And Jesus not only says, will, You will, <clears throat> He said, um, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And then right after that, they say, We are able. We're able to do it. Do they think they know what they're getting into? And Jesus says, In the most scary part of this, You will drink the cup that I drink. If you think about what Jesus said to them and what He just handed it to them, The mark of success, what he is saying to them, if you really want to be successful, you really want to be in a a place in my kingdom that that shows success, you have to suffer and you have to drink from the cup that I drink. And you will. You would drink from this cup. And in fact, James would be the first one martyred. If you want to know what that meant, it meant they would suffer and even pay their lives to be in the kingdom. It's the total opposite of what they would think. In Acts 12, it talks about James being beheaded. John would be exiled to Patmos, this island he would be just relegated to. He says, this cup is important to take and what you must do to understand success at all means you have to take this cup and drink it. It means in order for you to be a part of this, it's different than any other kingdom we're a part of. And I think this is where it starts to diverge for us about what it really means to be a Christian. Because the things we hold as successful, let's talk about it for a minute. The ways that we hold up being a parent in a certain style the ways that we hold up having a certain position and a job, the ways that we, the things that we exalt as showing successful in our culture, in our kingdom, so to speak, that we can exalt, Jesus is saying it, it doesn't come through those things. It doesn't come through identifying yourself with those qualities of that kingdom. It comes through identifying yourself with the one you drink the cup with. There's a different kingdom. Because think about this. That we want to be success, successful in things so that we belong. The reason we want to be successful, the reason we want to have this perfect home, this perfect family, this kind of place we can go for the weekend, this kind of trip we set up on the, during the summer, this kind of way that we look at our jobs, the reason is we want to belong. We want to be a part of something that, that we feel like we are, we've got it, we're in. But Jesus is saying, the only way you'll know you're in is if you belong to me. Those things will always change. Aren't they always the moving target? (laughs) Always a moving target. Every time that you you set yourself in a place where you feel like you're in with a certain group, you feel successful in a a job, it always moves to the next thing where you feel like, gosh, I haven't hit that mark yet. I don't feel like I'm, I'm a part of this crowd. You hit that lonely portion of your life and you go, where do I really belong? I was watching, I love watching these documentaries. This one was on the SEC network. It's called SEC Storied. It's kind of a 30 for 30 ESPN documentary type thing. And this one was on, it was called The Book of Manning. It was about Archie Manning, Peyton Manning, all these successful athletes. But it was really focusing on Archie and from the father's point of view. And one of the things that was so beautiful about it was this: is this. I don't know if you know much about Archie Manning. He played football at, at Ole Miss. He was incredibly successful. He went on to play uh, for the New Orleans Saints for years, and he never, not one season, had a winning season; lost every year. But all through this time, his boys were growing up uh, under him, and it had this. It was he was always taking videos. They said, and that they as he played for the Saints, and 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 he was in. Uh, through his seasons, his children would come, and they'd come to practice with them, and and people were always saying, "Why are you wanting them to be around football? You want them to be." Around? He was like, "No, I, I want them to be around me." And the most beautiful thing is when the boys were interviewed. They they said we didn't really know anything about what our father was doing, more or less that he never won, he never had a winning season. They never even knew that. All they knew is that they belonged to their dad. They didn't think about being with the saints. They didn't think about, oh, this huge NFL thing. They, all they knew was they loved being with their dad. It showed videos of them just wrestling and playing in weight rooms and on fields. And, and they knew how much their dad delighted in them. The, the secret of the kingdom, the secret of what the kingdom really means and what Jesus is trying to, to show to James and John and to us is that the true success has to come through another kingdom it has to come through a kingdom that actually lasts it has to come to a place where because we all suffer that look we typically take suffering and success and say that if you're suffering you're not successful jesus is saying actually the opposite he's saying if you want to if you want to understand what it means to be successful you have to suffer and the Christian view of that is very different from any other ideology, religion, or philosophy. In many other ideologies or philosophies or religions, it is, you know, what, that which does not kill me makes me stronger, right? Or maybe you're just biding your time here until heaven comes. You just got to suffer through the years of this life and enjoy some parts and not. But the only, the biggest difference and the only thing about this that changes everything is that the gospel doesn't do that. says the way the kingdom is transformed is by belonging and isn't that what we long for the most because everyone in this room I don't even know all your stories I don't even know some of you but I know you're like me and you suffer some of you have suffered because even in what we're talking about today some of you are suffering even currently maybe the longing to be a mom maybe the loss of your mother Maybe just the relationship you have with your mom. Maybe it's just being a mom and you just seem like you cannot come up for air. How do we know we belong? Because isn't the worst place to suffer and be alone? What Jesus says is this. Listen, he says, are you able to drink this cup? He says, you will drink. He doesn't say you will drink the cup. He says, you will drink my cup. He actually owns the cup. He doesn't hand the cup to them. He says, you will drink from my cup because there's only one who has drunk from the dregs of this cup. It is Jesus. See, he takes his own medicine. He does it himself. He doesn't just do it to become stronger. He actually goes to death. Suffering has to come. We all are gonna suffer. The question isn't, will you suffer? The question is, how you suffer and why. And when you do, the question you and I always ask is, to whom will we belong? Jesus is saying, if you know you belong with me, the one who suffers, even putting himself underneath you, that success is when you know you're loved, you know you're connected, you know you're not alone when you suffer. Some of you are feeling intense suffering. And some of you are seeing others encounter intense suffering what is the greatest thing that connects you is the being able to be known and belong in that moment is to experience the fact that when you long for something so deep that jesus is saying there's no measure of what you are experiencing or have that can ever be taken away from you if you are really mine if you really drink from my cup if you are really with me there is no suffering that can separate you. Nothing that you can feel intensely that makes you go, I'm all by myself. That Jesus identifies himself and takes the cup with both hands and drinks it to the dregs. We have a taste. He has it in full. I remember being at an adoption conference um, years ago. Uh, it's a big part of our story and was. Um, has roots into where we are. I've shared some of that with some of you and I'm happy to share deeper stories with you over coffee or something at another time. But I remember sitting at this conference and here in town actually and struggling with our longing to be parents, listening to a pastor who's from here, Scotty Smith, talk about this longing, talk about talking about the suffering of both parents who are longing and children who are longing and all of us in this and what does that mean as a family and him being able to look at us at the end of this conference and speak and say these words that have stuck in my head about who we really are if we really believe that we belong to Jesus this is what it means it means you and I are pregnant with glory and there is no chance of miscarriage We are, you hear that? We are pregnant with glory and there is no chance of miscarriage. If we really believe that this kingdom is different, do you know any other kingdom like that? That is success and it meets us even in our deepest pain and longings. It allows us to go back in reality. If that is true, that Jesus meets us in that place, then it is true that we can go back to Our suffering and pain, and realize that we have a God that meets us there. And we can walk through it no matter what the outcome is. There's no chance of miscarriage. Jesus sets this up for them, and He says, This is the kingdom. You want to be a part of this kingdom? You want to sit at my right and left hands? Do you know what you're asking? Because it comes through this cup and it, and it also means your position. That's actually the, almost the passive way we actively receive it. The active way is you and I have to take up what's being least in the kingdom to be greatest. He says, you want to know the right and left hands. They wanted that. That's what they asked for. Even the, his, their mom. Salome is like, can you let my boys have this right and left hand? Can they be in the kingdom? Can they have this power? She knows. They know that there's power there. There's positioning. There's what they want. The right and left hands were the place. I mean, think about it. These are the positions in the cabinet where you get to speak in. The right and left hands were the second and third in command. I mean, they were the ones that had the voices in the kingdom. They called some shots. They carried out things from the the king. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. Here's what the kingdom's about. Because in verse 24, when it says, the others were indignant. The other ten, including, think about Peter, who's just being boxed out by the other two that he was usually with. They were indignant and jealous, not because they asked the question, but because they want that position too. They wanted the exact same position. And they didn't want to have any other issue with it. They wanted to be a part of it. And Jesus says, but they call, in verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over, the, over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. He's telling them, he's saying, look, here's the typical model that you see, positioning to be in the kingdom. The position. I wanna be in the right and left hand, I wanna be the great one, I wanna have certain you know, places so I can succeed, and isn't that what we want? Look, the, the whole academic scandal thing is just a perfect illustration of what all of us want and yet are not being caught necessarily for doing I, I think it's interesting, L- listen about some of these things. I don't know if you've read about the academic scandal much, but it is a huge deal parents were paying for scores somewhere between 15,000 and 75,000 to have scores changed cheating went down in some three ways someone would take uh, SAT ACT exams for a certain student uh, someone would review or correct them some were not even awa- some students weren't even aware that this was happening to their exams look like sports opened a back door to a certain elite colleges, even for students that may not have even fit into these divisions of athletics and they were brought in. And listen to this, even images were doctored. Some students' faces were photoshopped onto athletes' bodies and bogus achievements were added to their college applications. Why, why is this happening? Some of us in are, are like, We've, we're not a part of that. Oh, But don't we want the same? Don't we value positioning our children to be in a place where they, they are valued in this kingdom. Where we want them to have, we want them to avoid suffering and actually just have success. We want them to have the right and left hands, don't we? And it's not an all bad thing, but how do we really want, what do we value in that? Felicity Huffman, who was one of the people who, whose ch- child was um, a part of this, and she was caught as doing this. I think she says such an interesting line here when she was interviewed. Some parents were like denying it. Felicity actually acknowledged it. She said, in an attempt to assist her daughter, she ultimately hurt and betrayed her. This transgression towards her and the public I will carry for the rest of my life. My desires to help my daughter is no excuse to break the law or engage in dishonesty. How much do we value the position of our children or of ourselves in any way of this culture and to cozy up to those in this culture more than we do in the one that actually meets us in the reality of our hearts? Look, I'm guilty of it too. I want my kids to be successful. I'm not standing up here. I'm not gonna tell you that I, you know, fight against having my kids suffer, <laughs> but what are we doing when we don't teach our kids to suffer well? What are we doing when we don't learn to suffer well? And we don't, I'm not, when I say kids, I don't just mean kids that, we, that are ours. I mean the ones that walked right down this aisle, that we are modeling the values of the kingdom and the king every day, no matter where you are in life. What values are we showing? Look, I I remember being, and I still feel this way a lot. And you may be sitting there, and I wonder if you feel, I don't know if this is the language you would put on it, but feeling often like we're just not on track whether it's uh, everyone around me is having children, or everyone around me is moving to this place, or everyone around me has these things, or everyone around me has a spouse, or everyone around me is going to, I mean, all those questions that we have, we want to be in those positions that we feel like we're on track, on track with the kingdom's values that we live in. And I want to remind you, When do we ever stop and allow ourselves to say, we don't have to be on that track? There's another track that actually defines all of it across this whole planet. And he said it's from the least to the greatest. It's not from positioning ourselves to be in a place where people are like, that person, they're just great. It's being not even remembered. You notice Jesus uses being a servant than being a slave here. These were positions, one was a hired person, one wasn't even hired, somebody was forced as a slave in the labor. There were positions of the lowest authority in the culture, Jewish or otherwise. And yet Jesus says, this is what it means. What does that look like for us? It doesn't mean you quit your job, doesn't mean you throw things out. It means though that do you have a set of lenses where you know your position in this society, in this kingdom we live that yet we are living for another one. And we live in two. The heavenly kingdom and yet this one. Are we defining success for ourselves and every everyone around us by being in positions where we are going to be known forever? Who needs to know your name? Think about this. Who would ultimately be at Jesus' left and right hand at his greatest moment of glory? It would be two no-named thieves hung on a cross. How this transforms you and I is not by you trying to make yourself more humble. It's by knowing that we worship a king. The king in his values, he actually goes beneath you to exalt you. That's what it looks like. Whether you're in a job that you hold someone's dignity, whether you're seeing what humanity, the kindness, you see people. You don't just treat them. You see them better than yourself. Because that's exactly what this king did. He put himself in a position not of Upward mobility, but he's saying, look, the kingdom, this kingdom is downward mobility. You want to know what it means to be lifted up? You got to go down. I'll tell you what. Hard for me to even say this. To think about, as a parent, before I ever had my boys, I wrote a letter to our children that we had lost along the way. And to be reminded, as I forced myself to read that letter again this week, What are my values? And who holds me? And is my success and is my position in this world based on that? Or is it based on someone who sent someone else? This passage ends <clears throat> I've got to pull it together for a sec. This passage ends with a phrase that we never use really in our culture except for negative ways. It ends with this. It says in verse 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What pays for my positioning? That word ransom, it's such a weird word. Again, we don't use that except for in negative ways. But the distinctive of what this means and the values of the kingdom and the value of the king are set at a table right here for you to see. It means that he paid for you. The word ransom is a word meaning purchase, bought back. It means you belong. And you belong regardless of what your status is, in this culture? What your positioning is? His death, it's actually saying his death does something. It actually does work to pay for you so that you are never cast out. You are brought in. It's a payment, meaning you're released from an old kingdom and you are a part of a new one. You're released from an old king and you're part of another king who lays himself. He comes beneath you. He actually gives his body and blood for you. So as you prepare to come to this table and receive this, know that this kingdom reverses everything else. What transforms you to leave these doors and to handle your family, your life, the way you see yourself in your jobs completely different is knowing the true value of you from the king himself so that you can approach this kingdom with kindness, humility, love that is not just a ethereal word but a reality because it does something in us. We belong and because of that let's stand together. We're going to read from a